Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. All right. So we are continuing today in our series on the beginning of Jesus's ministry as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. So far, we've looked at Jesus's baptism and his temptation by the devil. And this week, we're looking at when he starts preaching. I've titled this, The Preacher's First Message. It's a very short message. Um, but there's a lot to discuss in uh, regard to that short message. So, if you want to follow along, we're going to be picking up right where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Matthew 4, verse 12. Lord, we thank you for this morning, and right now we're coming to the scriptures with hearts that want to receive whatever it is that you want to teach us. Help us to be open to hear from you uh, and to be listening. And all people said, Amen. All right. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right as he's getting started, he moves. He had been living in Nazareth with his family ever since uh, Mary, Joseph, and and Jesus came up out of Egypt, right? After they had gone there in hiding to escape Herod. And uh, so he was probably about 30 years old when he moved to Capernaum. And he did this right at the time that his cousin and friend, John the Baptist, Uh, who had just baptized him shortly before that, was put in prison. And Matthew tells us that all of this is part of fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said, that a great light would shine on the people who have been living in darkness in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, and that this light would dawn in the Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, that's an appropriate name for the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing village where the trade routes would often bring Gentiles, non-Jewish people, through that area. So it was a Jewish fishing village, but it was frequented by Gentiles. And that's an appropriate place for Jesus to begin his ministry because, of course, Jesus ends up being not just a light for the Jews, but for the whole world. And Jesus begins his preaching with this simple message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, Some translations put it, The kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. It is within reach. Now, you might notice Jesus actually isn't saying something new here. This is the same exact thing that John the Baptist was saying in the previous chapter. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what does that mean? That's what I want to spend all of our time on this morning. What does Jesus' first message mean, the same message that John the Baptist was saying? Well, in order to answer that question, we kind of have to divide this into three sections. We've got to talk about repent, kingdom of heaven, and near. All three of those. So we'll start with the middle one, kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, let me begin by clarifying that the kingdom of heaven, same thing as the kingdom of God. Uh, sometimes in the Gospels it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven, sometimes as the kingdom of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's primarily referred to as the kingdom of heaven because Matthew's primary audience was Jewish people, and Jewish people sometimes avoided using the name of God as a way of respect, right? So heaven is a, what's called a circumlocution for God. But kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Sometimes people try to, try to argue that, but you'll see... There are parables, exactly the same parables, that begin with the kingdom of heaven is like and the kingdom of God is like. So, same thing. So what is it? Well, the kingdom of heaven is a way of referring to what the Jewish people were expecting, what they were hoping for and expecting and had been for a long time. Based on what the prophets had said, they believed that a king would come who would establish God's everlasting kingdom. And they called this king the Messiah. And it was believed that he would make Israel supreme, the supreme nation on earth, that all other nations would pay respect to Israel, that Jerusalem would become like the capital of the world, and that under the Messiah's leadership, the world would be healed and would be made right. Now, these ideas were shaped by prophecies like Isaiah chapter 9, which Matthew just quoted earlier when he talked about uh, a great light shining on those who had been living in the shadow of death. Look at what else chapter 9 says. This is, this is uh, very interesting. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So these are the kinds of prophecies that have shaped the Jewish people's imagination. And so, when John the Baptist and Jesus start saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, what the people would be hearing is, these prophecies are about to come true. God is about to establish his everlasting kingdom through his Messiah. What we've been expecting is finally about to become reality. And so, that brings us to the next part of Jesus' message that we need to consider, which is that word, near. It has come near. 
Now, for Jesus' original audience, that would mean that very soon, Israel is going to become supreme. Israel is going to triumph over her enemies. Very soon, this Roman occupation is going to end. Very soon, we are no longer going to have to pay taxes to Rome. If anything, Rome is going to start paying taxes to Israel. But, if that is what Jesus meant, we have a problem. Because that didn't happen. In fact, just about 40 years after this, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. And so, that leaves us with two possibilities, right? Either the kingdom of heaven wasn't really near, or the arrival of the kingdom of heaven looks a lot different than what the people were expecting. I'm sure you can guess which one I think is the answer, right? And so all this brings us to the first part of Jesus' message, repent. Does anyone know what the literal meaning of repent is? I, I did hear it. I don't, uh, yes, to change one's mind. Now, obviously, if our minds change, that affects our behavior. But the word repentance first has to do with something that goes on between our ears, right? Or in our hearts, in our hearts and minds, a shift in perspective, a change of mind. The kingdom of heaven really was near. It really was at hand, as Jesus said. But in order for people to recognize that, they had to repent. They had to change their minds. They had to realize that the kingdom of heaven does not operate the way that kingdoms of this world typically do. And that the king of the kingdom of heaven does not operate the way that kings ordinarily do. And if they could change their minds, if they could repent, then they would see the glory of God. And then they would realize that Jesus is the long-awaited king, and that he was and is establishing a kingdom that really would have no end. And, as Isaiah said, that on the people living in darkness, there has shone a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, we, don't, we today, we don't necessarily have the same expectations about the kingdom of heaven that Jewish people in the first century did. But, like many of them, we, we may still need to repent or change our minds about what the kingdom of heaven is like in order to it is here. So, I think that there are two common ways that we think wrongly about the kingdom of heaven. And I've tried to summarize this in a way that's easy to remember. So one is to think of the kingdom of heaven in too otherworldly a way, and the other is to think of it in too worldly of a way. Too otherworldly or too worldly. So let's start with too otherworldly. Some of us, when we hear those words, the kingdom of heaven, the first thing that we think is where you go when you die, 
right? The place that your soul goes to when you die. So something that is uh, non-physical. And if that's what we hear, when we hear Jesus say, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, we hear something like, well, get your act together because all of you are going to be dead within 100 years and you want to make sure you go to the good place. But when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, he is not just the afterlife. He is not just talking about where we go when we die. He is talking about something that he is bringing to earth. Something that he is bringing to earth. So think of the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus taught us to pray. First couple lines of that. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, it acknowledges a heaven where God dwells, right? But at the same time, it requests, right, that God's kingdom come down to earth, right? So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is a little bit different than just heaven. The kingdom of heaven what happens on earth when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, we should not think of something that is too otherworldly, right? It is something that Jesus is bringing to earth. But, we can also make the mistake of thinking of the kingdom of heaven in too worldly of a way. And this is what is closer to the mistake that the first century Jews often made. And this is the mistake of thinking that the kingdom of heaven is something that comes through building a powerful nation in the name of God. That it comes through things like armies and military campaigns. Uh, that it is just another kingdom, very much like the kingdoms of this world, but quote, in the name of God. But that understanding of the kingdom of heaven is too worldly. The kingdom of heaven has a very different character from the kingdoms of this world. You know, Jesus said that in the kingdom of heaven, the one who rules is the one who serves. And he said that in order to enter the kingdom, we have to become humble. We have to become in some way like children. So the idea that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom like the kingdoms of this world is in conflict with much of what Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. And it is also in conflict with much of what Jesus did. I mean, let me just give three examples, right? One, Jesus never raised an army. There's this very interesting moment when Jesus is arrested and he's taken before Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. But my kingdom is from another place. Now, some of us might hear that as, well, my disciples are not going to fight because... My kingdom is somewhere we go when we die. 
But I don't think that quite captures what Jesus is saying there. Right? He says they're not going to fight because his kingdom is from another place. What's the other place? It's from heaven. Right? But heaven is supposed to be coming to earth through Jesus. Right? The reason that Jesus' servants don't fight is because the kingdom that Jesus is coming to bring is ordered by the principles of heaven, not by the principles of this world. The principles of this world say that kingdoms need to be built on violence, on military power, right? But Jesus says, no, 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 my kingdom is from another place. It operates according to the principles of heaven, not of this world. So something else, you know, Jesus never really focused on land either, right? If you're trying to build a nation and that's your main goal, you worry about things like boundaries and, and land, right? There's this very interesting moment when Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman. This is the scene with the Samaritan woman at the well. And he says, woman, a time is coming and has now come where it will not matter where you worship. Because there was a debate. Should people worship in Jerusalem? Should they worship on Mount Gerizim? Where should they worship, right? A debate about where is the, the land that we're supposed to worship on? And what does Jesus say? He says, no, the kind of worship that the Father seeks is worship in spirit and in truth, right? Worship that isn't about where you are, but the attitude of your heart, right? So there's a shift with Jesus, right? So he didn't focus on land. And then a third thing, Jesus resisted being put into positions of political authority. Now, is he the true king? He absolutely is. But he did not want to be in the positions of political authority at that time, the ordinary structures of politics. There's this great moment in the Gospel of John where Jesus has just fed the 5,000 miraculously. And, you know, when somebody miraculously provides food, you think, hey, this is a good person to put in charge. And so the whole crowd wants to make Jesus king. It says they want to make Jesus king by force. And do you know what Jesus does? He runs away. <laughs> It says he withdrew because he did not want to become a political authority in the ordinary sense according to the ordinary structures that were in place at that time. So for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven was not like the kingdoms of this world. So we too should not think of the kingdom in too worldly of a way. Some people who make the mistake of thinking of the kingdom in too worldly a way can make the mistake of even conflating America with the kingdom of heaven. Right now, I love America. I'm thankful to live here. But uh, it's not the kingdom of heaven. So, to summarize, we do not want to think of the kingdom of heaven in too otherworldly a way. Right? Because this is something that Jesus is bringing to earth. And we don't want to think of it in too worldly of, what, of a way. Because it is not just another nation 
in the typical sense. So how should we think about the kingdom of heaven? Well, a passage that might be helpful comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. It says, Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And some translations say it is among you or even within you, which is a controversial uh, translation, but that is one of them. The Pharisees have heard Jesus saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so they're asking, well, all right, Jesus, when is it going to arrive? You say it's come near, when's it coming? And Jesus' answer is very interesting, right? He says that the kingdom's arrival cannot be observed. It's not something that you can point to and say, there it is. You know, behold, it's horses and tanks coming over the horizon. People can't say that because, Jesus says, the kingdom is something that is in your midst. It is among you. Now, what does that mean? Well, part of what Jesus is saying is that he is the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, right? Because he is the true king from heaven who is in their midst. He is among them. Now, his arrival does not look the way that they expected the kingdom of heaven's arrival to look, right? So that's why he's saying, you know, you can't observe it. But I'm here. I'm in your midst. So that's, I think that's part of what Jesus is saying. But I do think there's more to what Jesus is saying here than just that. I believe that he's saying that the reign of the kingdom of heaven begins in the hearts and minds of people who have encountered Jesus and have received him. That's why the kingdom of heaven isn't obvious. You know, the kingdoms of this world, they are obvious, Right? They've got their borders, their palaces, and their armies. But Jesus teaches that there is a hidden quality to the kingdom of heaven. There are parables where he talks about this, right? Where he says that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast working its way through dough. Or it's like a little tiny seed that grows into a huge tree. It might not be obvious... But over time, his kingdom is rising. His kingdom is growing. So the kingdom of heaven comes not as Jesus leads his armies, but as his life and his teaching changes our hearts. As his life and teaching grows in us. It's like his life and teaching plants seeds within us. And as those seeds grow, the kingdom of heaven grows comes to earth. So, let me give some examples. The kingdom of heaven comes to earth when people recognize that on the cross our sins were forgiven. When we come to have peace with God and live our lives out of that peace. The kingdom of heaven comes 
when we forgive in the manner that Christ has forgiven us. The kingdom of heaven comes when we show concern for the least in our society. The kingdom of heaven comes when we are willing to be persecuted for doing what is right, and somehow, even in the midst of that, have love for our persecutors. The kingdom of heaven comes when we have the humility to recognize our own sin and to apologize to those who have been harmed by it. The kingdom of heaven comes when we carry each other's burdens, when we mourn with those who mourn and we rejoice with those who rejoice. The kingdom of heaven comes when we value people more than money and live accordingly. The kingdom of heaven comes when we choose to release our worries and anxieties and give them to God and replace that fear and anxiety with faith and trust in him. When we give up our scarcity mentality for a trust that he will provide. And the kingdom of heaven comes when Christ's resurrection frees us from the fear of death. And we live in that freedom. So in all of those ways and more, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, comes. It comes to earth. This is how Jesus builds his kingdom. From the bottom up, rather than from the top down. He builds it patient, patiently. He builds it in a way that is not immediately obvious or observable to everybody. We might want him to do it in a way where everyone can just point and say, oh, the kingdom of heaven, there it is. But instead, God chooses to bring the kingdom of heaven within us, among us, and his way is best. You know, it's been 2,000 years now since Christ uh, initiated his kingdom. And in that time, kingdoms, kingdoms have come and gone, right? The Roman Empire was a kingdom that seemed indestructible in the first century. And yet, by the 400s AD, it had fallen. You know, uh, the Soviet Union, that one came and went in like 70 years. That was a flash in the pan. But Jesus' kingdom has endured. And it has not only endured, it has spread all over the world, and it has citizens now in every tribe and nation and language. Well, we're still working on it, but we're getting there. And it will outlast all worldly kingdoms. So, returning to that first message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You know, if the kingdom of heaven had come near before Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, if the kingdom of heaven had come near before the Holy Spirit had been poured out at Pentecost on the church, then I think the kingdom is even nearer now 
than it was then. Amen? So, the kingdom is nearer now than it has ever been before. In a sense, it is already here. Although, to put it in terms of Jesus' parables, the dough is still rising, right? And the, the seed, the tree, is still growing. But it is at hand. We can reach out for it. It is among us. It is in our midst. It's here now, in this place. But in order to perceive and receive the kingdom of heaven, we may have to do some repenting, right? We may have to do some changing of our minds. And so the question that I would like us to reflect on this week is, do I need to repent of how I've understood the kingdom of heaven? You know, have I thought of it as too otherworldly or too worldly? Do I really believe in a kingdom where the last will become first? In a kingdom where the meek will inherit the earth? In a kingdom where the greatest is the one who serves? Do I really believe in that kingdom? In a kingdom that isn't like the kingdoms of this world, but is actually so much better? So think about that. Lord, we ask that you would help us to live as citizens of your kingdom, not just after we die, but right here and now. Lord, please renew our minds so that we can perceive and receive your kingdom. And Lord, we thank you that through Jesus, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a new light has dawned. In your name, amen.